you know, Wordsworth's old definition of poetry, that it should be in the language of men speaking to other men, you know, there's your 19th century formulation of it. Sure. But I do believe that poetry is shaped language and it has a pressure that is beyond ordinary speech. And you want that um, because you're, you're sort of sending it on a trajectory into the future, into an audience, and you want it to become memorable. On the other hand, I also think that there is much beauty in ordinary speech and that, that our ear as poets should be tuned to the way people actually think and speak and talk amongst themselves. Kevin Craft is a resident writer in the 2008 Jack Straw Writers Program. You're listening to him in discussion with program curator Judith Roche. I see very clearly that no writer is unique, that we mm-hmm. all live with an inheritance. Yes. And we can seek that inheritance anywhere. Ours is an age where, you know, and ours is a culture as well, America, mm-hmm. uh, where so many cultural strands come together. And you can seek that in the East. You can seek that in the West. You can seek that among Native sources. My own particular fascinations have been Western and Mediterranean and classical in that sense, only because, I don't know, I just woke up and I started traveling there and I felt affinity with my old textbooks and, you know, Egyptian pyramids and Greek temples and the story of the... uh, And your imagination is based there. Yeah. That's totally understand. The more that I travel there, the deeper it gets. Do you go back to Homer very often? I is do. is that a ur text for you? It is. It absolutely. is for me too. Homer and the Greek uh, lyricists, yeah. uh, Archilochus, Sappho, yeah. Ackman, yeah. all of those guys and gals uh, yeah. um, are really important to me because I see in them you can touch the earth the way they lived on it through yeah. those poems and. The historical moment that they lived in comes alive. And uh, again, in terms of layers of human experience and consciousness, just the sweep and grandeur of the Odyssey, of course, is is fascinating. And, And line by line, it's mesmerizing. Now you'll hear selections from his live reading at Jack Straw Productions. This first poem is called Two Ravens. Uh, The raven is a prominent bird in myth and literature, Um, but this is a poem about the actual bird. Two ravens. We circled each other, trading pinnacles and views. I scrambled up to where they simply lifted off. I threw an apple core into the wide, windy space beneath us. Neither one flinched, Neither moved an inch as it fell out of sight, the used-up, free-fallen apple of my eye. If they blinked, I couldn't see it. Black eye in black socket, radiant black, black hole black, and wings like liquid basalt. They looked like rooks, like any old crow, except when they were close enough to call to, perched on a rock like pure exaggeration. Hydraulic press, I thought kettle and reticent pot. What they thought of me, they kept to themselves. Not one squawk, not one dire utterance. Though by their dark demeanor, I gathered I was something of a disappointment. A scavenged picnic, a bone picked clean. Or maybe they saw through the point I climbed up to, winded, heart beating hard, and like the living daylight's negative, took the measure of darkness there, and left me to scribble in my own black book. 
This next poem is also from the book. It was born out of a love of history, of deep history, all the way back kind of history, geological time, and also a love of three-letter words. It's called To Err, E-R-R. It was the era of ore of ages ago, of Alps scored by ice and ill winds. It was a Monday when the month began, better late than larva, better now than law. It was the eve of air too long. It was what it was, what it always was, the eye and all of it, the awful arc, the airs. And yet, I was all ears beside the sea, mud in your eye, I was out of my mind in yon. It was the era of ore, of italic hours, walking about too many urns for a sun. You were your own worst enemy, I the odd one out, ages of ashigo and smoking alps and alms. Okay, so staying back there in the deep time, um, this is a new poem called Stone Age Gallant. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to see Ötzi, the Iceman, the 5,000-year-old Neolithic hunter who was plucked from an Italian alpine glacier uh, a couple of, about 10 or 15 years ago. There's a museum built around him now in uh, Bolzano in northern Italy. Uh, he's fascinating enough, <clears throat> but I found, they found him with all his equipment, bow and arrow, you know, cinder pouch where he kept his little, um, you know, how to start a fire, little burnt coals wrapped in maple leaves, grass seeds stuck to his leather boots. And I mean, it's just, wow, it's like a built-in a live action figure, you know. Uh, life-size, I should say, not live. But, um, <laughs> but he did look like a gentleman. Uh, he had tattoos. A uh, gentleman hunter, perhaps, if not a gentleman farmer. This um, poem imagines him suddenly waking up in our time. Stone Age gallant. He takes a beating. He blocks and chisels with the best of them. He drafts hirsute missives to the manufactured brutes and begs for a challenge, for a chance to extemporize his uncalloused creed. He's a colossus in a dime store, all gaggle and paunch, spitting out grunts and barbs for the wires. A window of importunity, he breaks down for the gawkers, the perfumed gazers who shoulder extravagance so casually it hurts. Sick of lockjaw, sick of slash and burn, he sticks to his gimmicks like a tambourine hide. He's self-taught, territorial, a Rotarian of one. Talk about mending fences, talk about saving graces, he just valorizes the ravines and stalks the vineyards with an axe to grind, a canister of potions strapped to his waist. Want not, hunt not, bear the brunt. It tickles to see him so inclined, verging on refinement, a gallant of galore, even as he thaws and thins, even as he slumps from ship to shore. And one last poem. This takes its starting point, as its starting point, the strong affinity between the basalt cobblestones of Roman streets and uh, the basalt columns of eastern Washington. It's called Sic Transit, which in Latin means, and so it goes. And it's for Carmen.
Would there were a way to turn this slow heat rising off Roman cobbles into the hail it wants to be falling on your doorstep, love. Just before we step out to load the car, drive from Seattle over the mountain passes to the channeled scablands in spring, where evidence is ice breaking all over again, like the great dam bursting into flood. And if Lake Missoula remains a puzzle, only basalt remembers clearly beneath migratory waves of Canada geese, the hieratic scrawl of sandhill cranes. Still, there was no getting out from under it, like this heat spiraling off the Piazza della Pace, into which swallows throw themselves with sheer abandon, cutting broad swaths of it, and presto, a parasol opens above another aperitivo, into which a man peers, as if looking for a coin he dropped, a contact lens, a magnifying glass, on the pointillism of some bulbous bucaro vase, an artisan of Cayer took great pains to punctuate with radiant fans like stiletto peacocks, like sunrise on Pluto, like a third cocktail umbrella, through which I drink beside a stranger in honor of your absence, which is fondness personified, and the soft spot behind your left ear where the boundless first flared, like that strain and stranger, and dampness bifurcated fire, the way Anaximander described it in Ionia long ago. Long ago, Ionia, the enlightenment smuggled in the fluting of columns, the contraband spun in the rigging of masts, the subtending thump loosed from an upright bass accompanying accordion in the piazza this evening, flying through my way for the umpteenth time, followed by the primi piatti, followed by those were the days which the cobbles could play with their eyes closed and sometimes do, though no one in the dark ages ever painted night. I go walking molto andante from piazza to piazza, holding myself up like a sputtering torch until the heat applauds and the accordion collapses and the upright bass lurches over the pedestrian bridge, and so it goes, trying to swim beneath dry falls or wash your hands in ancient lakes. And though I say, io, 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 I mean that owl that all night signals from the basalt cliffs as the fire dies, and you crawl into your sleeping bag, and the bassist lays down his mortal frame, and I slip in beside you, the wave crumbling under our embrace. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Jack Straw Productions as part of the Jack Straw Writers Program. The 2008 curator of this program is Judith Roche. Music performed by Yerba Buena and recorded through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. Producer is Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are Mo Preventure and Tom Stiles. Narrator is Amy Brimhall, and executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, Poncho, the Mayor's Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.